You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Well, we went to the beach yesterday, church, and it didn't rain. Miracles are happening in our midst in Jesus' name. And if you were there, you would have clocked that I'm going to call them a gang of scoundrels threw me into the water at the beach, fully clothed, didn't even give me a chance to get change into my swimmers. One of them is here today, but I'm a good pastor. There's no way I would ever single out Joshua Schmid in church. Never would I ever do that. Kidding me, love you. I will get you back one time soon. Well, church, we're in the second week of our four-week series on financial wholeness called Keep the Change. Keep the change. And today we are going into tithing. But you would have clocked on your seats. We've got these awesome credit card-sized little uh, takeaways with you. If you want to grab one, stick it in your wallet, stick it in your purse. A great resource on the back has a link to our website and a QR code that if you find yourself in this series or in months to come needing resources to help you in your finances, budget, spreadsheets, webinars, advice, whatever, it's all found here. Or maybe you'll find yourself in conversation with someone over the next couple of weeks, a friend, a colleague, and you can simply give them this card and direct them to the website. It is an awesome resource. Don't miss out on checking that out before the series has ended. But before we begin, I want to read out some statistics because as I found, Audacious Chester Campus love a good old statistic. Oh yeah, okay. We've got from Ameriprise study on couples and money. They say this, approximately 31% of couples, even the happiest ones, clash over their finances at least once a month. The most common points of disagreement are major purchases, decisions about finance and children, a partner's spending habits, we'll say no more about that, and important investment decisions. Couples who regularly talk about their money, however, are happier in their relationships than those who discuss finances less frequently. Among respondents who said they talk about money at least once a week, 42% describe their relationship as extremely happy. Come on, who wants a relationship like that? Extremely happy happy compared with 27% of those who talk about money less than once per month and the rest who talk about it even less. Last one, nearly 80% of the 2,100 people in the survey admitted that personal finances kept them awake at night. Now, I want to suggest today, church, that we're a group of people that don't have to live conformed, but live transformed. We don't have to live under the status quo and the statistics of the way things are. We are called out to think differently, to live larger, and be the Christians that God has called us to be full of faith, challenging the status quo. But today, you might find yourself in this myriad of statistics resonating with the statistics. Well, I want to say firstly... Great job. 
You've come to church in the midst of a financial wholeness series, a time where many people would want to kick the can down the road, would want to miss church for a month, not show up. You've come and arrived in church. So give yourself a pat on the back. You're here in the house of God, ready for breakthrough. And today, church, God has given us this blueprint for our lives that we want to preach into today on tithing. Sound good? All right, I wonder if you had a time in your life where somebody has given you great advice. Actually, they've given you the best advice, but you've decided to head off and do things your own way anyway. You've thought you've known best. Thinking back to 2014 when I went on a missions trip to Russia, Russia is huge on the map, but let me tell you, when you're on a train going across the Trans-Siberian Railway for 24 hours in one direction, and all you see is snow and trees, snow and trees, and snow and trees, Russia seems massive, and it is. And then you see that one house that's in the middle of nowhere. Who lives there? That's my question, church. Who is that guy or that girl that lives in the middle of the snow and trees? Love to interview them for church. But I remember we were on the train and there was uh, lots of soldiers on the train at the time as well. I think we had somehow stumbled upon some sort of military train heading, you know, with the troops. And we Christian missionaries in Russia happened to be on this train. And every time one of the soldiers walked past our cabin, tiny, tiny cabin, They'd poke his head in, look at us, and every time they did that, I thought me and my friends I was with, we were going to get kidnapped by the KGB for being Christian spies in Russia. But we made it past the train, praise the Lord, and we ended up at this house of this incredible family that were hosting us. Now, we had received lunch at this house, and the lady put in front of us this plate of food called plov. It tasted worse than it sounds. Plov. Sorry if you're from Russia and you love plov. We got a plate of plov in front of us. I tried a bit. I'm quite a picky eater, as Lisandre very well knows. And I didn't like it, to say the least. So what I did was I got my fork and I pushed all of it onto one side of the plate. It was now stacked double height, but it looked like I had eaten half of the plov. Trick for the kids out there that don't like dinner. Sorry, parents. Pushed it all over. But as we're leaving, this woman said to us, now before you go, as you walk down the steps, be sure to run your hand along the wall so you don't fall into the snow. Now, the snow was the exact same height as the top step on the steps leading up to the house. And I had thought leaving the house, that's going to look really weird. Who wants to walk down some steps holding on to a wall like you're believing for a girlfriend or a wife, right? Holding hands on the way down. I'm like, I'm with my friends. That's not going to be cool. No thanks. But as I walked out of the front door, as I took the second footstep away from the step, confused as to whether it was a step or snow, I remember before I could even react, the foot went into the snow and my whole body weight carried me over and I went head first into a six foot pile of snow, feet dangling upwards in the air, people having to reach down and rescue me out. Have you had a time in your life where somebody's given you great advice, but you've decided to go and do it your own way? I think all of us have had these moments in life, haven't we? Growing up as kids, parents tell us, 
before you leave the house, wear your coat because it's going to rain. And you're like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going out in my t-shirt until you realize 10 minutes later, it starts pouring out of the heavens and you get soaked. Maybe for you, it's been the car's fuel gauge is right on empty. And someone says to you, possibly your spouse, you should fill up the car before you head on your journey. You're like, nah, I know best. It'll be fine. Until 10 minutes later, you're broken down in the middle of nowhere. Perhaps it's been where someone's advised you to store up some savings and some margin in your finances and you thought, nah, I'll be fine. I don't need it. Until something happens in life where you really could have done with that savings pool to assist you where you are now. Or maybe it's been in church for a long time and people have spoke about tithing and giving a tenth to God and you've said thanks but no thanks until later you've realized you missed the power of the financial breakthrough that comes when you trust God. And the danger for us is, is if we treat the Word of God with a think we know best mentality, we'll eventually find ourselves wishing we had have listened in the first place. Today, church, I want to suggest four things that we have to understand about tithing in order to live in the breakthrough that God has for us as God's people. The first one is this, is we have to Understand that tithing tests what we trust. Tithing tests what we trust. The Bible says this in Malachi 3. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, says God, and I will return to you. But you ask, how do we return God replies, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. God says this, you're under a curse. Your whole nation. Sounds encouraging that, doesn't it? Because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God says this, test me in this. Test me in this audacious church, Chester, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not even be enough room for you to contain it or store it. Not only that, God says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. The reality today is this, church, is God doesn't need our tithes and offerings. God doesn't need our charity. God doesn't need our generosity. God, as Lysandre said during the offering, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He controls the universe. If he needed anything, he could have it. Tithes, offerings, generosity is more about our heart than it is what God gets as a result because God is trying to do something in us before God does a work through us. Now, let me tell you this. People say all the time, but tithingly, tithing is Old Testament. Tithing isn't today because we walk in relationship with Jesus. Hear that all the time. So let me explain. We've got pre-law, law, and post-law. 
pre-law in Genesis 14. This is before there was a set of laws and rules that the Israelites had to follow to please God. Abraham voluntarily, Genesis 14, brings a tenth of everything he had to the priest Melchizedek. Fast forward to Genesis 28. Jacob voluntarily says, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, God, I will give a tenth. See, pre-law, the tithe, the tenth was pure devotion. And then we know the law came. Moses went up the mountain, brought back the tablets, and brought back 613 laws and requirements for the Israelites to follow in order to please God, in order to live a righteous life with God. It became a requirement. And then post-law, Jesus came, and through relationship with him today, church, we have access to God. We have our sins forgiven, our past wrote off, and we've got a promised eternity with God in heaven. We don't have to live up to a standard of 613 laws, and everybody said amen. We've got access to God through relationship with Jesus, but Jesus didn't do away with the tithe. He actually says this in Matthew 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, full of encouragement today, aren't we church? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, Jesus is highlighting the emphasis on practicing justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the tithe. See, the tithe runs pre-cross, runs through the law, runs to the cross, and runs post the cross. And it's through tithing and giving a tenth to God that God truly tests what we trust, that we put our money where our mouth is, in other words, that our confession doesn't just remain a confession, but it is a demonstration of who we are in our trust of who God is. Why a tenth? Why is it ten? Ten throughout the Bible is a number of testing. Ten plagues in Egypt. Ten commandments came down on the stone tablets. Ten spies give a bad report to Joshua instead of a faith report. So not only does God test us with the tithe, we test God with the tithe. Now, not only get this, church, did Jesus not do away with the tithe, he actually exaggerated the tithe. Not only did Jesus not write off the law, Jesus exaggerated the law. How so? This is how. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard it said, love your enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But now Jesus adds to it and says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See, the law gave us a baseline for following Jesus, and Jesus added to it. He exaggerated it. If Jesus was here right now, and we said to him, Jesus, why should I tithe? He wouldn't say, you have heard it said, 
give 10%, now give 2%. Jesus would exaggerate it and tell us to give more. See, Jesus added to the law. He adds to the tithe because it's in this act of worship that we test God and we learn to trust God. The only place in the Bible God says to test him. Audacious church, let's test God and show him prove to be faithful in our lives. The second thing we have to understand is tithing honors God. It honors God. When I was at Bible college, honest story, I didn't really honor God with my giving. I was an emotional giver. If it made sense on paper, the month was looking good, I was, you know, doing well, then yes, I'd tip in the offering. But if things weren't doing so well, then I wouldn't give to God. I'd say, nah, not for me, no thanks. But it came to this moment where I found myself preaching to young people on a Friday night, telling my friends and work about God and how God could change their life, forgive their sins, give them a future, heal the sick, all of the incredible promises we find in the Bible. But this one right here, I wasn't living out. In other words, my lips were saying one thing, but my life was doing something different. So it came to this moment where I decided, you know what, God, I'm going to tithe 10%, and I'm going to make it a principle in my life to trust you. And I remember moving to Chester sometime later, and I had worked in a pizza restaurant. You've heard many stories about that restaurant, I'm sure. This is not that one. And I remember being there, and my hours got dropped in work. And that's a bit of a sketchy moment for someone that works in hospitality that on paper is full-time, but not as part-time hours because, as we know, the bills don't change, do they? So it was at this moment where I was getting paid on the Monday, and on the Friday, I had a decision to make. Either I'd trust God with my finances and tithe and give, or I'd spend it elsewhere on the weekend. I'd spend it on, you know, food. I'd spend it on other things. And I decided, church, to trust God with my 10%. And that Sunday, totally random, someone comes up to me in church, before I worked for church, gave me an envelope and said, I just felt God tell me to give you this. And what was in that envelope, not a large amount of money, but was exactly what I needed to pay for food for the weekend. Because when we honor God, God honors us. A couple years later, my card broke down the Fiat Pinto, rest in peace, it was a mess, long gone. And I remember walking down from Saugal on the cycle path to Chester. I had no car. And I was praying, God, I've trusted you with the 10%. God, I have trusted you with my life. Your car's broke. I need a new car. Because if I'm going to do what you've called me to do and be a youth pastor and visit the young people, I need a car to do it. Trusted God with my 10%. And a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call. And God provides me with a car. Now, church, I'm not talking about a theology of give to get. I'm talking about a God that when we honor him, God will honor us with the purposes that he has for us. See, honor is the key. And honor will always cause you to live differently. Honor causes you to show up to the meeting early and not late. Honor causes you to stand at the table when you're meeting someone new, shake them by the hand, look them in the eyes. Honor causes you when you meet the queen to bow or curtsy. See, honor causes us to live differently. And if we are the followers of Jesus that we say we are, we have to put God on his pedestal where he belongs and honor God together. Tithing causes us to honor God. The third thing tithing does is tithing redeems 
the 90. Redeems the 90. Malachi 3.9 says this. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. There's few things in life, church, that you'll feel as bad about is when you buy someone a birthday gift after the birthday because you forgot their birthday to begin with. Rewind back two years ago, I've got a confession to make, church. I forgot my dad's birthday. Ouch. Totally forgot my dad's birthday. We had just gotten married, Lysandra and I. We're living in, you know, the honeymoon. We were in the apartment. We, you know, life was busy, making all the excuses I can here, right? Totally forgot my dad's birthday till my brother texts me saying, hey, mate, did you forget dad's birthday? And I'm like, no, dad's birthday's not for a couple of weeks. And he says, dad's birthday was two weeks ago. Let me tell you, the color drained from my face when I realized, called my dad, sent him a gift, you know, made amends. And the gift that I'd sent him was exactly the same as the one I would have sent him two weeks before to arrive on his birthday. But now my dad feels like an afterthought and not a first thought. See, what tithing does in redeeming the 90 is we give it the start of the month because we place God as a first thought in our lives. We prophesy into the rest of the month. We prophesy into the rest of the year that God will come through and bring a breakthrough. See, what happens is when we give a 10%, you can do the math really easy. We're left with 90% of our income, but the Bible says we've moved out from a curse and into a blessing. And I don't know about you today, church, but I'd rather with God live 90% blessed than 100% cursed. And what the tithe does is tithe redeems the 90, it sanctifies the 90, it aligns the 90, it blesses the 90. You'll find in your life you can do so much more with 90% blessed than you could with 100% cursed. Watch today, church, what God will do in your business, in your world, in the marketplace, in your investments, when you put first things first and trust God with the 10. The last thing really quick tithing does, and we have to understand, is tithing is an expectation of what is to come. Luke 6.38 says it like this, give and it will be given back to you. A good measure pressed down and shaken together and running all over. The measure you use, church, will be measured back to you. Don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, pastors Rick and Kay Warren. Rick authored The Purpose Driven Life. A lot of you have probably read that book or heard of that book. Now, an incredible story about Rick and Kay is this. Is there what you call reverse tithers? In other words, they give away 90 and keep 10. Now, Rick's book, Purpose Driven Life, is the best-selling book in American history, selling 30 million copies. Isn't that incredible? 30 million copies. But him and Kay didn't wake up one morning and decide, okay, today, I'm gonna give away 90% of what we have. Can you imagine that conversation at home? Crazy, right? Oh, today, we're gonna start giving 90. Each year of their marriage, they started to increase their tithe. One year it would be a quarter of a percent when things weren't great or they weren't in a lot of surplus, it would be a quarter of a percent. They'd still give, they'd still move forward. And other years it would be a whole percent or more because of a windfall, a new job. And when Rick was asked this question, why do you think God let your book 
be the best-selling book in American history, Rick replies this. He says, well, God knew what we'd do with the money. See, generosity doesn't start one day when you win the lottery. It's a lifestyle you live in now. Tithing is a lifestyle you live in now. And tithing is the expectation of what is to come prophesying into your world. They started years ago. And look what God did, 30 million copies. What does it look like in your world today, church, that you're believing for? That job, that business, that family, that home, that whatever it looks like for you, your tithe is saying, God, I'm gonna test what I trust. I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna redeem the 90 and I'm giving as an expectation of what is to come. And what God replies with when we step out with faith is that when we step out, God steps in. Today, church, you're waiting on God to step in. Step in with a miracle. Step in with breakthrough. Step in with whatever it looks like. Today, first, we've got to step out. We've got to trust God. We've got to honor God and watch what God will do in you and through you. These aren't my thoughts, church. They're really not. But this is the Word of God. If we can apply the Word of God to our lives, Watch what will happen. When we started, when we first got married, we made a decision that every year we'd up the ante. And every year since, God's come through. God's brought a miracle. God's done something above and beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. And we've so many hundreds and thousands of stories in this room represented of when people step out in faith, the miraculous and the beauty of when God steps in. Church, don't wait another 10, 15, 20 years to apply this principle in your life. We're talking about this series now for a reason. And God wants to do something in your future, but He's looking for you to act and respond in your today. He's saying, if you'll test me in this, trust me in this, then tomorrow will take care of itself. Watch what I do. I'll open up the storehouse of heaven. I'll pour out so much blessing that you couldn't contain it. And it's not just for us, church, as well. You might be sitting there thinking, I don't need more. I've got everything I could ever need. Well, watch what God will do with your 10% in impacting Chester, in impacting North Wales, in reaching a lost city, in reaching a nation that needs to know Jesus. The greatest mission we all have here on earth is to lead the lost into relationship with Jesus because that's the only currency I can take with me to heaven. I can't take things. I can't take accolades. I take stories and I take people. So today, church, decide that you'll take great stories of when you stepped out in faith and through your act of sacrifice and obedience to the word of God, watch the people God will bring with you and all that he will do through you. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.